I almost uh, feel like we should be a part of the disciples standing before Jesus where he asks this very simple question, who do you say that I am? And we're able to look at him and say, there are some people of magnitude that have walked this earth and some say that you are like them and others say you're like him. And they were very important people and he then kind of cuts through it all and says, I'm just not necessarily that curious about other epic people who walk this earth. I would like for you to answer this question and it would lead us to an extraordinary Sunday of worship. Who do you say that I am? I think I heard you are the Lord. Newts that know their canoes right Yes, you are the Lord. You are the Messiah. You are the King of glory. Whatever else I can confess, I will just cry that out to you. And I, I don't know. I am, I'm praying for just a Palm Sunday of rich glory in Christ together in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our joy in the midst of our palm branches, in the midst of our sorrow. Jesus, you are the Lord. We're here to meet with you and to make that declaration among us. And I almost I almost want a choir to walk with me throughout the week, so I think that's actually my picture of the church. Um, that were, were you not mildly envious of Ryan and Penny for just a few moments? You know, you want to walk about throughout your days just kind of going, Jesus, you are mighty. <laughs> and somebody says it back, you know? Like, let me try it. Jesus, you are mighty. Yeah, thank you so much. That was, I mean, you're, and then, and then just like you're walking about through your days. I picture this as a Palm Sunday church experience, you know, just Monday through Saturday. We're walking about through our days just, you know, at a moment, we just start, Jesus, you are mighty. And everybody just kind of comes back at you. I know, I know. Yeah, you're not, you don't have to keep doing that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep singing because as you'll see, um, this is, I'm off the page right now, but I'm jumping right back on the page. Um, as you get to the end, I believe that's what the church looks like. It's a group of people who sing of the might and the power, the majesty and the wonder, the dominion and the glory of God. And one of us may just kind of, maybe all we have is we squeak it out a little bit and and we just respond back, yes, He is. Yes, He is. And all we have right now is a little squeak and we just kind of come back to one another. Yes, that who He is. And then it just builds and builds until there are palm branches and glory and honor and praise given to God through His people. And I want to talk about worship a little bit this morning in that context because in the 12th chapter of the book of John, we learn much about worship. And this is Palm Sunday as Jesus, Ryan has already says, as Jesus walked into the holy city and there was this declaration almost of, Jesus, you are mighty. Hosanna, you are holy. You are glorious. You are powerful and jackets were being laid down and palm branches were being waved and they were laid at his feet as Jesus walked into the city. And yet, there was something skewed about that occasion. And what I want, my 
personally what I want to learn about worship because within a seven-day window, you went from this massive crowd who was singing of the glory and wonder of God to some portion of that crowd singing and shouting, crucify him, to other portions of the military and the religious and some of that crowd watching this extraordinary experience of the cross and the grave and then becoming eyewitnesses to the resurrection of the Lord because Jesus, you are mighty. And so what we, what we want to come back with is and say, what happened that skewed that? What happened between John 12? And so if you have your scripture, I would love for you to turn with me there because I believe that what we learn on this extraordinary triumphal entry day, this day that is a day of beauty and reckoning for the body of Christ, I don't necessarily we think that we learn about worship and this encounter from the large group experience in the 12th chapter, verses 12 and on. I think in the 12th chapter, in the first three verses, is where we learn about how the encounters with God in the group setting become powerful. They may have emotion with them, but they are anchored deep in the Word of Christ. Because what happens when we come and fill our tank on Sunday as a believer in Jesus is that we wave palm fronds for an hour and then we walk away from God. But what happens when we come worshiping as the body of believers filled with the presence and the power of God, we come pouring out all of who we are for all of who He is. If you are approaching worship in the manner that the folks I believe in the latter part of John 12 did, then it's not confusing why on one hand you can shout of His glory and on the second hand shout of His crucifixion. Because there's more intimate and powerful encounters that we must experience in order to worship. John wrote, he says in the 20th chapter, verses 31, verse 31 of the book of John, I wrote the words of this scripture so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. The Greek word, as he writes of this belief, is this experiential knowledge of God. It is not an informational knowledge. It is a knowledge of God that compels us to a depth of walk in Him that is an intimate, personal encounter that takes on corporate opportunity and responsibility. But he is saying, I have written these things down so that you might believe. And I, in my, just in my heart, I love that. But one of my favorite passages, I like John, for starters. I like John because he wants us to believe. And I like John because he writes funny things. There's a, a second verse that's um, one of my two favorite verses in Scripture. One of those is when John makes it clear to us that he was the first one that made it to the empty tomb. I just find a little bit of his humanity flowing through there. Like the two of us, we took took off chase to get to the tomb. And I'm not going to point out any speed factors here, but I just really want you to know I was the first one there. I'm just looking at my neighbor right now who's faster than me and thinking I am not taking him on to get to the tomb. He wins every time. And he'll write about it. 
But I love this verse in chapter 21, verse 25. It's the last verse of the book of John. And I have this picture. In fact, after I read this verse, you can read it with me on the screen. But there's a picture that I have. Because first of all, he says in chapter 20, verse 31, I have written these down for the followers of Christ and those who will become followers of Christ so that you might have this personal, rich, and robust belief in Jesus so that you will walk about in your everyday life going, Jesus, you are mighty. Jesus, you are holy, Lord. And I praise you for who you are, but look at this amazing verse in chapter 21, verse 25. And there are also many more things that Jesus did, which... If every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. This image came to mind as we wrote that down. Um, I just, I love, there's a t-shirt that 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 belongs to me that I need. So many books, so little time. BJ, I heard your dad described as a nerd. I will gladly wear, I am a big nerd book reader, every day, all day book. If you can get me that shirt, nerd alert. Here comes Mark. So many books, so little time. I Don't you love what John is saying is, I have written these words so that you might believe, but could I expand what could happen in your hearts as followers of Jesus? Because if we had written everything down, there are not enough libraries in this world to comprehend the majesty of the Son of God, the King of glory. That leads us as a church to come into this place and say, God, we don't have the capacity to once a week come around and sing, Lord, you are mighty. We want to come around this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wake me up in the middle of the night and allow my family to hear this coming from my room. Lord, you are mighty. And so the reason that I believe that there is a skewed nature in this Palm Sunday and a confusing reaction is the same for these people in the 12th chapter of the book of John is the same reason that it confuses me at times in my personal walk with God, how I fall away, but also in the corporate body of believers. How do we stand in moments and sing of the mighty nature of God or the cornerstone aspect of who He is and then begin to walk through our week in, in, in extraordinary confusion. You just fill in the blanks on your life from this past week, Monday through Saturday, and I think there would be universal repentance in this room. Just universal God. I, I fear that we have come to this to be able to say we want to experience you on this height of moments and we're made to glorify God. We were formed for that purpose. And I think in this corporate setting, worship does not begin with a group activity. And I can't tell you in my years as a pastor how many times people have said the purpose of my gathering in church is to fill my tank. God, help us. That can't be. There's an intimacy that God is longing for from us. Worship cannot begin standing on a hill waving a palm frond because it wouldn't then confuse you that five days later you would be shouting, Crucify Him! 
We do that all the time, right? Stand in this room and sing, Lord, you are mighty, and we crucify his name. How do we reconcile that? How do we wrestle with this? What is our response to God so that we could experience a moment-by-moment unveiling of the revelation of God Himself? We aren't made... Listen, we're not made for a weekly cycle of worship or to stand with the crowd as the only experience on a hill and to make a lot of racket. We are made, you and I are made, for a moment-by-moment worship encounter with Jesus Christ where throughout the week, and again, we bump into each other at Walmart, heaven forbid, I don't even want to go there, so can we go over to the avenues instead? And we bump into each other at the avenues and we just look and go, Lord, You are mighty. That could be an awesome call of the church. Yes, He is. He's glorious. He is the very air that I breathe. Most of my life, I have thought that I went to church to worship and I have on the screen a massive change on a Palm Sunday. There's something more beautiful when we go this way. You and I, we come to church worshiping. You want a major shift? You want Ryan and I have to say, okay, we're going to spend 15 minutes readying our hearts and then we will be ready to meet God. It would be a body of believers who live in intimacy with Christ on a moment-by-moment basis who come to this place and we bring our jars with us and with intentional extravagance, this place is filled with the aroma of Jesus because there is the aroma of worshipers that, that come into this room and pour out their lives as living sacrifices. And Jesus says, that's holy, that is pleasing. And we say back to Him, Lord, You are mighty. So I'm just inviting you, I'm inviting myself to be here next Sunday worshiping. I mean, starting right this second. My life is a life of worship before the mighty God. Otherwise, otherwise, my life will be very confusing to people around me. My life is a life that is given over to worshiping God. And I have visited the libraries of His might. And I believe Him for who He is and for what He has done. I believe the answer is found. Our gathering I put on the screen is a mosaic of the grace of Christ sharing together an an even greater story of the God for, for who He is and what He has done. And our lives just come in saying, God, we come as lead worshipers. And I believe the answer is found in the 12th chapter, the first three verses. Not verses 12 and forward. How do we land in this encounter where the hillside is powerful? It begins in Bethany the day before. When Jesus says, and this is written in all four of the Gospels, and so you don't catch this reality unless you read all four of the Gospel encounters of this, 
But in the Gospel encounters, Jesus comes into Bethany after raising Lazarus from the dead. He sits down at the house of Simon, and I love the description of him, Simon the leper. He used to be Simon the leper, Simon the healed, Simon the made whole. And they share in a meal together, and they experience a powerful moment of worship that allows us as a church to understand what it means to be able to then come to church worshiping. Because I would promise you that there was no ambiguity for this intimate room of people as they stepped out into a corporate hillside and began to shout out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There was no ambiguity with these folks because of these words. Six days, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one who Jesus raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him, and they being the dinner was at Simon the leper's house. So Simon, the former leper, cooked a dinner for him along with some other people of great magnitude, one being Lazarus, who used to be dead. They gave a dinner for him, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. And then in this verse 3, Mary took a pound of perfume. It was pure. It was expensive nard. She anointed his feet. She wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume of the living God. And I could hear her in this moment singing, Lord, you are mighty. Lord, you are mighty. You are worthy of worship, Lord. Lord, I am sitting in the middle of brokenness. I am sitting in the middle of being healed. I am sitting in the thrones of death. And I am sitting in the midst of resurrection. Lord, you are mighty. That'll, that'll, that'll cause an aggregate of worship. It's a group of people together on a Palm Sunday and say, Lord, we worship you. The city is Bethany. The home is Simon's. And so, I've already mentioned a little bit about him. Simon the leper. Simon the one who walked stooped in his prior walk on this earth. Simon the one of scabbed arms and infected skin. Simon the one who lived in rags. Simon the one whose face was wrapped and the only thing that you could see were two eyes looking out, broken in sorrow, and you had to look at his eyes from a distance because if Simon walked your way, Simon crossed the street and he cried out a singular word, unclean. This is the house that Jesus is sitting in in an encounter of worship right now. Simon lives in isolation. He Prior to this story, he lived without love, without hope, without the simple joys and dignities that are given with life, without anyone smiling toward him, without love, without fruit from the market, without banter on Facebook about political discussions. If you live without that, without laughter, without awakening to go to work, without seeming purpose, without invitations to weddings, without gathering with his family to worship, without Passover. This is who Simon was, and no one touches him. No one comes near him, and in fact, 
the religious not only overlaid, you have a sickness, but the religious circles overlaid that with moral decay. And so here is Simon walking with physical sickness and he has been overlaid with a man who is marginalized both physically and spiritually. There must be something greatly detrimental about Simon. Avoid him at all costs. And here's what I love about Jesus. And if you want to be welcomed into the family of the King of God, I love Jesus because He doesn't cross the street to get away. He crosses the street to get to. And He took into His hand the nub of Simon's hand. Fingers most likely at least a portion have fallen off. And He spoke life and love, and victory, and hope, and promise. We don't have a recording where we can say, this is in Scripture the moment that Simon was healed. And so I personally went back to the Gospels and just read of Jesus' healing of lepers as He crossed the streets to meet us in the depths and the bowels of our brokenness and to hold us and to put His hands upon us in the heart of our brokenness and to speak. That could be even this day in our most broken moments of sorrow and we feel broken and our flesh feels weak. And he just simply says these words, Simon, what would you like from me? Lord, you're mighty. And that's all the breath I have from you. Lord, you are mighty. And the Lord touches him. I thought of Simon. I'm sitting at this table thinking his daughter is actually holding his fingers that he did not have prior to Jesus. He's reclining and leaning with the entirety of his body, laughing with friends around a table when before he could not even sit in their presence. And I hear him crying out in that moment in his heart. Maybe he did look at them and just say, Lord, you are mighty. But I hear him crying out a psalm when he said, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek for you, my soul, it thirsts for you. And my flesh faints for you. And God, that's not a metaphor. My flesh was fainting and falling off my body. And you restored me. I needed your touch. Lord, this was a dry and weary land that I walked in and there was no water. But Lord, you are mighty. I worship you now. I see you, Father, and you're in my house. Jesus, the healer. But I see you in my house and yet in your sanctuary. I have beheld your power. I have experienced your glory. I have been set free in you. Your steadfast love is better than life and my lips will praise you. Oh, what a body of believers that we would make up if we were a people who understood and never forgot that, oh God, 
You have met us in our greatest point of desperation and lifted up. I see you. Lord, you are mighty. We worship you. I think there would be more than a five-day waving of a palm frond. There would be a depth of our soul. Echo. Lord, you are mighty. Look across the table. Not only did he meet us through brokenness and make us whole, he met us from resurrection and brought us to life. Lazarus. John wrote these words so that we might believe. So we have Lazarus sitting in this circle in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. For Lazarus is the one Jesus has raised from the dead. You should know that. And oh, by the way, Lazarus is reclining right here. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking his, his heart is an, an ongoing refrain of, Lord, you are mighty, and I haven't just seen you in your sanctuary. I've been there. I have seen you in fullness. I see dimly again, and I cannot fathom, nor can I wait to see fully again. So I'm coming in in this echo chamber of the glory. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And when you sing that song again, if you guys break out and refrain again, that all glory, all honor, all dominion, and all praise, and you do that sitting down again, I am just going to kind of draw you into heaven. Because there is no one sitting down in heaven. There is no one that is sitting on their seat in heaven. They are either on their face or they're in their, they're standing fully before God saying, all glory, all honor, all power, all dominion, it's yours, O Lord. Lord, you are mighty. That's Lazarus. He's kind of rocketing at his worship encounter saying, look, you, you can't worship here or you'll wave palm fronds and you'll do something completely different tomorrow but in your brokenness you're made whole and in your death you are made alive it brings a little bit of raucous nature to your worship john wrote so that we would believe this we would believe that not just did he take a brother and raise him to life but maybe we believe something more beautiful than that that we would believe our own story, that the Scripture says of us that we were once not bad, that we were once a people who were dead. And Jesus spoke outside of our tomb. Mark, I was nine years old. It was at the end of vacation Bible school. And my den was the tomb. And the people speaking into her were sitting on the front row this morning. When I said to them, there's some things I've learned, some things I've watched, and some things I know. And while mom and dad talked, Jesus stood behind them saying, Mark, come out of that grave. And to quote a song lyric that I love right now, I ran out of that tomb. It's not solely that Lazarus, and I preached this last week, it's not solely, in fact, I don't even consider that to be the powerful point of this message that a guy who is living and died is living again because he will die again. It is much more spiritually powerful for me to be with a person who was once dead in their sins and transgressions, made alive with Christ, and are completed and whole in Him. 
And that's who we are. We are a people looking at God and going, I ran out of that grave. Lord, you're mighty. Lazarus has and will teach us about worship. And I, here's what I, I want to venture back to a scripture twice in the same truth because I don't think that Lazarus is going to hold a class for us in heaven when we get there and we're going to hear him replay the reel of when he resurrected from the dead and came back to only die again. I think Lazarus is going to say, you want to know what really excites me? You don't have to wonder. It's found in scripture. In the 11th chapter, the 45th verse, here's what's going on around Lazarus right now. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary to talk about this raising of Lazarus, they saw what Jesus did and they believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John says, we, we wrote this stuff down and we lived this thing, things out and let Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Not that, that he could be raised from the dead temporarily, but so that Jews and people next to that story would come to know the reality, not of a man who died, came to life and died again, but they would know the one who died and came to life never to die again. So they, he's just looking and going, you want to know the plot line of what I want to talk to you about? I want to talk to you about the dozens in chapter 11, verse 45, that said yes to Jesus as they talked with Mary. And all she could say to them was, Jesus, you are mighty. Jesus, you are mighty. And they came and they just said, yes, he is. And they believed. All the way down to this day, we tell the story of Lazarus and some in this room may believe. He says, let me play that real for you. Here's a sentence for you that God has burdened me with. And I realize that through this room, there are a myriad of circumstances. And so this sentence is on the screen and I hope that the Holy Spirit will give body to this. My circumstances whatever they may be, can and will serve to bring others into saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do not waste a circumstance. And in this room, there is peril. And in this room, there is joy. Whatever your circumstance, Psalm 84 says, break out a shovel and look up for rain because in the valley of your circumstance, our God will provide a flood of His grace. And you will bring others to drink there. So if you meet Mary, she will lead you to believe. If you meet Simon, he will lead you to Jesus. If you meet Lazarus, he will tell you, I am going to go back into the grave and it will not hold me. So out of abounding belief, out of sitting in rooms like that, stems extravagant worship. Just walking right through this passage. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped them with her hair. And the whole room was full of the fragrance of the goodness of Jesus. It was like everybody in the room started singing, Jesus, you are mighty, except for the religious people who didn't think you could do that. Just keep reading. Except for the folks like, calm it down. Who spent that money on something else. He's like, no, no, no. 
I will be here but for a moment. Pour it out. Don't calm it down. Pour it out for the sake of my glory. You will walk this earth for but a moment. You are a vapor and a mist here. So I invite you. I think this is Jesus, not me. I invite you. Pour it out. Judas, you're missing it. Extravagant worship. Mary was sitting on one side with one who was broken and made whole, and on the other side, one who was dead and made alive. You are as well, right now. That's what I want us to gain in this worship experience and wrestle with worship that you and I are sitting in the exact same scenario as chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're sitting with a whole bunch of people who were broken and been made whole by Jesus. Lord, you are mighty. And we're sitting in the room with a whole slew of people who apart from Jesus are dead in our sins and transgressions. Lord, you are gracious. As Mary looked at the warm hands of her brother, her dead brother, waving and storytelling in that moment. She turned and looked laughing at him. I think as she turned and looked at Simon, who is healed. Simon the made whole leper. I don't know, you come up with a good name for him and share it with me next week. Simon, whose head was thrown back and perhaps in that moment, in joy and jubilation of a story that was told by Lazarus. And she looked at the two of them and just was going, this is so beautiful, Lord. Isn't this corporate worship right now like this? This is our small groups, if you will. This is like intimate encounters where we look at one another and go, I knew you before. And look at you now. I knew what was going on with you. And look at the joy of the Lord that is set before you. And what I want you to hear in chapter 12, verse 3 is, she did not act on impulse which I believe we want extravagant worship to be some impulsive encounter. She is not acting on impulse. She didn't pick up a palm branch and wave it with an excited crowd in this moment. She did not respond to emotion in the moment, although I can promise you that emotion ran deep. Mary had carried the vial of perfume with her to this occasion. She's just sitting in going, Jesus, living God, Holy Father, it feels like the right moment. I can't handle this anymore. I'm looking at Simon laughing because Lazarus just told a joke. And God, this is so good. And I think something exploded in her that she couldn't hold back. And she just started to cry out, Lord, you are mighty. You are so good. And she took out of her tunic, she pulled out of her wardrobe this beautiful year's worth of wages perfume and she just began to pour it out. This is not logical. But it's also not solely emotional either. Here is a great word for us. Since when did our love and worship of the mighty God become logical? He was impassioned. And she poured out her worship on the one who has taken the broken and the dead and brought healing and life. And she worshiped. Logic did not touch Simon. Jesus did. Lord, you are mighty. Logic did not stand outside the grave of a man four days in. Jesus did. 
And logic did not go to the cross so that you and I could sit in this room and corporately gather on Palm Sunday and wave a branch. Logic went so that we might be resurrected and so that our lives might be an eternal cry of the mighty nature of our God and so that we would lift up palm fronds, perfume, and the fragrance of the goodness of the Lord would fill this place. Lord, You are mighty. We worship You. Mary stood behind Jesus. Could you just... She stood behind Him and just began to pour over His head, His hands, His feet, and wash it with her hair. There's something powerful. There's something powerful. There is something mighty when you and I are surrounded by those who have experienced and worship out of extravagant love. It invites extravagant worship. Planned, prepared, impassioned, sacrificial, abounding. Let me just throw this out. Mary didn't come to worship. She came full throttle worshiping. It is all the difference for the world. Hear the critical word. It is not all the difference in the world. For us as the body of believers, it is all the difference for the world. May this room be filled with the aroma of an entirety of people who are wrestling to grasp the might of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. Jesus, I praise you for the chance to be a part of your church. I thank you that in a dry and weary land where there was no water, you, the living water, stepped in. Lord, you're mine. Jesus, when I was mired in death and covered in sin, by your stripes I was healed. Jesus, you are mighty. God, my worship to you comes this morning at this point with just a humility and wonder of who you are. And so Jesus, I just pray that this room could be filled with worshipers now. God, I pray that there will be those of us who are experiencing the joy of your resurrection. We would just call out your might in this moment. God, I pray for those in the room who have felt untouchable at times past. 
they would call out of your grace and goodness. Your mercy, Lord, it is new every moment. Lord, I pray for the gentle breeze of your spirit in this room. I pray that worshipers would just worship, that this altar would be full of those who come and bow their knee before the Lord, our God, our Maker. That those who desire prayer would come and have a pastor pray over them, lifting their name to you, our Father. Father, I pray that those who are dead in their sin would be saved today. There would be glorious rescue in this room. Lord, you are mighty. So we sing to you. Thank mm-hmm. you.